Thank you. Thanks, team. Yeah, give it up for our music team. Serve, prepare well every week. Uh, so thankful. So thankful for them. Um, our kids can head up to be in Redemption Kids this morning. And so uh, as I often encourage, pray for them as they go. They're learning about Jesus just like we're learning about Jesus in here. Um, so we pray that, uh, that they would uh, have a great time there with our awesome team and Redemption Kids. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Okay, so if, uh, if you're new to the Bible, that's cool. Uh, it's going to be the last book, all right? So it should be very easy to find. You can just go to the back cover, start turning, and you will find the book of Revelation. The big numbers are the chapters, and that's where we're starting in chapter 2. If you're new with us, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card. Uh, just as our way, we value people. We value relationships. We want to get to know who's uh, coming and maybe how you found out about us. And so mark that, and as well as any next steps. That's for everyone. If there's a way that we can pray for anyone this week, let us know. As leaders, we always take these very seriously, and uh, we'll follow up with you sometime this week. Well, um, a couple of heads up. Uh, you know, believe it or not, Easter's a little later this year, uh, April 21st, but, but the season is coming. And so uh, this, this week starts the beginning of Lent. And uh, for the past several years as a church, we've observed Lent as, as a family. There's no pressure. If, if somehow that, you know, violates your conscience or something, don't, don't uh, feel any pressure to do so. Uh, but we see it as an opportunity just to seek God, to put off some, some things so that we can uh, put on more of Jesus and seeking him. So uh, I'll send out, we'll send out a newsletter tomorrow just giving some guidance and some encouragements around uh, fasting, what that might look like for you, and, uh, and then also how we can feast on God as we seek more and more of him. And then uh, for all the men in the room, uh, there's a special opportunity this weekend at Hope Fellowship Church. We've partnered in with a number of other churches. Ed Welch, who's a prolific author, of just a, a great biblical counselor, he's offering a conference on anger, and it's for the men, all right? And uh, you don't have to have like this major anger management problem, you know, uh, to, to attend. Uh, if you rarely find yourself getting angry, you will still benefit from it. Um, I don't feel like that's personally a big struggle of mine, but I'm going, and I would love for you to join me. So if you want to come, uh, you know, go online, sign up, or let me know, and I can help you out with that after the service. Really looking forward to that. Well, uh, today we're starting a new series uh, in the book of Revelation, just two chapters, chapters two and three, and we're calling this series Dear Church, all right? These are Jesus' words to his churches to help them move forward. And as you know, at Redemption Hill, we, we believe that, hey, church needs to not only happen on Sundays, but it needs to be happening every day. And that's one of the reasons why we have established what are called community groups. Community groups are roughly uh, groups of, of 8 to 16 people, sometimes a couple less, oftentimes uh, a few more or many more um, by the time you count kids. And uh, I host one, actually I don't host one, I, I lead one that's hosted uh, by my friend Bobby um, and, at his house on Monday nights. And this past Monday night for me was a memorable one. And let me tell you why. Um, this, the group started much like any group would start, you know, people roll in and, you know, it's fist bump time and maybe, you know, what's up, you know, handshake, hug. We do a lot of hugging, you know, in our group. Uh, if that scares you, don't worry. You can just do the fist bump or whatever. Um, but, um, but, you know, it just kind of started off. And then uh, one, of, one of our friends came in and, and I could just tell something was up with them. And, uh, and as it turns out, um, they began to share with me that it had just been a really, really rough week. They started to give me some of the details on that. 
And then what I, I really appreciated, um, you know, it's one thing to kind of share your heart and your life with, with, you know, the leader of the group. But by the time we sat down, this person was immediately sharing it with everyone else in the room. And so I'm just trying to sense what the Holy Spirit's up to in the room. And we actually shifted gears out of the normal discussion over the sermon. And we went to 2 Corinthians 1 about the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort who comforts us in every affliction with the comfort that we've received. And we just had a great time of encouragement being exchanged around the room. It wasn't just for that person. There are other people. All of us have our struggles in life. I'm sure you can identify. And one of the main messages, one of the main takeaways, and something that you need to understand about what's going on this morning, as well as what's going to happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, Sunday night at groups, is that, as some people say, yeah, it's okay to not be okay. And this is what we see in the the, the picture of our God in the Bible, is that Jesus opens his arms and he says, come on. He says, come just as you are. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to work out your imperfections. I know all about it. I understand. I know what you're going through. Just come. And so this is what was going on in our group. And I love it when this happens. And, and so uh, as, as the, the conversation continued, uh, this, this one who's just really uh, been, been challenged over the past week said, you know what, sometimes I just wish, maybe you can identify. Sometimes I just wish that I could just talk to God face-to-face. You ever, you ever been there? You ever, you ever thought about that? You ever said that? And, 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 and we get that, right? And there's something that's so good and true about that desire. You say, why? Well, if you read the first pages of the Bible, guess what? That's how it was in the beginning, Adam and Eve dwelling in the very presence of God, walking with God as one walks with a friend day by day by day. Guess what? As we read the final pages of the Bible, this is where it's going. We will dwell with God forever. So when when someone says, hey, I just wish I could speak with God face to face to, to work these things out and to understand, we should applaud that desire. It's a noble desire. It's one that God has hardwired into every human heart. And yet, what I love, and I love it when, you know, the leader doesn't have to be the person to speak up, just around the room, in our diverse group of of some more seasoned generations, you you heard that, Um, and and then some younger, you know, younger, uh, you know, folk in Christ uh, just started to, just started to encourage and said, you know what? God has spoken to us. And when we open up the words of this, this book, it's, it's as if he's sitting in the room speaking right into our ears. And he's given us prayer where we can voice our, our, our hearts to God. And he's given us his Holy Spirit who leads us in a personal relationship day by day by day. Yes, it's all by faith that we walk with God and God walks with us as a friend walks with a friend. And what's going on as we jump into this book of of Revelation is a living picture of this reality. 
that God cares about us, that he has his eye on us, that he wants to speak to us, not just this in this kind of generic sense, like, you know, 7 billion people in the world, and, you know, like this is something that maybe someone can grab onto. But what we find is that Jesus is writing to specific churches according to their specific circumstance to meet their specific needs. This is the kind of God we have. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ to his church. It was given to his beloved disciple, John, the, the gospel of John, the writer of the gospel of John, the writer of first, second, and third, John that comes just before uh, Revelation. Uh, Jesus gives this revelation to John, and it's for John to pass on to the churches. But as we see, these are the very words of Christ that we're going to read. These are his letters that he's writing saying, hey, I know what's up with you. This is what I have to say. This is what you need to hang on to. And so as we peer into this letter, I think uh, we just need to understand a couple of of things here. Um, Oftentimes when it comes to the book of Revelation, especially maybe if you're a Christian and you've heard uh, they've been in a study or or heard some sermons on, you know, Revelation, it's the final book. And so there's much prophetic material about what is to come at the end of the world when Jesus returns, okay? But it's sometimes easy, easy to forget that this was a book written to real people with real problems undergoing real persecution. And so the message of Revelation primarily is to the people of that day as well as to the people today is to keep going, persevere, even in the midst of challenges and frustrations and trials and, yes, even persecution. Keep going. Be faithful to God, not only in what you believe but how you live because, listen, as you do, God is faithful. God will fulfill his promises. Never, not one of God's promises, I feel like preaching today, all right? Not one of God's promises have ever fallen to the ground. Thank you, God. I want to walk with you. And so, over the next seven weeks, we'll cover these seven letters. And the message, the, the poignant message of the letter to Ephesus, as we see in verses 1 through 7, that that they needed to hear was this. Get back, all right? Get back to loving Jesus like you did at the first, all right? Get back to loving Jesus like you did at the first. Let's read these words together and study them so that we can understand what God is saying to us. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray one more time. God, would you speak to us? Not, not hearing just the, the words of a person on a stage with a book in his hand, but understanding that these are your very words and that you desire to speak to each one of us as we keep this book open and hear from you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So out of this little letter, I want to give us four encouragements that will help us get back to loving Jesus like we did at first, okay? The first one is this, all right? Number one, be captivated by a vision of Jesus, all right? Be captivated by a vision of Jesus. What does it mean to be captivated? When, when someone is captivated by, by something, it, what that's saying is they are like absolutely locked in, okay? They cannot take their eyes off of this thing or person or God, okay, because they are so beautiful, so attractive, so stunning, so glorious that there's nothing else that we would rather gaze upon than this object that has held our attention. Captivation. Everything begins with seeing God for who he is. And, and, and listen, hey, by the way, okay, this is going to throw this out there. Like when we see God clearly, we will be captivated. So don't like, don't think like God's not very captivating. Like something must be like, hey, something's up with you. And me. And me. God is glorious. He's perfect in every way. And this is, this is the, 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 like, I love how every, every one of these letters, by the way, just get ready, okay? Every one of these letters starts Jesus, like, self-portrait mode, okay? And it's like, you know, um, he's giving a, a description of himself that, again, is, it's tailored to the specific circumstances of what they're going through. And so he begins by saying, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What does this vision tell us about Jesus? Okay, number one, it tells us that Jesus has complete authority. To hold something in one's right hand was to be at the, the seat in the position of authority. The, these, these seven stars, the end of Revelation chapter 1 would tell us are the seven angels, all right? And so what, what Jesus is saying is he has complete control over both natural and supernatural realms, all right? And I don't know what like our Western mindset does to us when it comes to the miraculous and the supernatural and the angelic realm, but I'm just saying that the Bible says, hey, this is a reality, and we don't need to dismiss it, but we need to be prepared to understand that God is God, and there is a supernatural world, and there is a war going on, and we need God's angels to do his business to help us keep moving our lives in the mission forward. 
This is why I love a diverse church. This is why we as Americans need to hang out with people that come from maybe the global south and in Africa and Asia because guess what? Most people in the world today don't have as much of a problem with the supernatural as we do. But, but Jesus says, look, I am, I am authoritative. I am king. And this was really important for uh, the people in Ephesus, for the Christians in Ephesus. Why? Because Ephesus was like the New York City of uh, the first century in modern-day Turkey, okay? And so what was going on is like 250,000 people, which was like millions and millions compared to our day, all right, were living in Ephesus, and it was the center of Roman power in that day. And so the Christians were, were living under Roman rule that, by the way, wasn't so nice to Christians. In fact, by this point in church history, this was written in probably uh, early to mid-90 AD, Christians were already being burned alive in some, in some corners of the world. And so the church needed to hear Jesus is authoritative. And number two, I love this, Jesus is present. It says that he walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are the golden lampstands? Well, again, just go read chapter 1. At the end, it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus walks with us. He is present with us. In Christ, we do not have a God that is detached and distant and disinterested from what's up with us, but we have a God who knows in every single way what's going on. But if you think that's good, there's so much more, so much more. And so what I want to do is the vision of Jesus doesn't start. Like what's happening at the beginning of this letter and the next letter and the next letter and the next, 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 next is that it's echoing what has just been unfolded in chapter one. So what I want to do is I want to read the entire chapter. So if you don't, if you have your Bible, get it out. If you don't have your Bible, turn on your app on your phone. If you have neither, then listen carefully, all right? Listen carefully. Because this vision of Jesus is, is what, I mean, the book of Revelation was given as words of hope. You've heard me say it before. If you need your heart a flame for God, go read the Psalms. If you need some encouragement to like go tell people about Jesus, read the book of Acts. If you need some hope, Go read Revelation. So this is what Revelation 1 says. I'll, I'll just kind of pause and just give a little bit of explanation along the way. I'll try to keep it tight. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Can I just say that it's really a really good practice to like read the Bible out loud and to do it with friends? The power of we. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him, Jesus, here's the vision, who was who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus, that's a description of God the Father, verse four, now verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead 
and the ruler of the kings on earth. To Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's John's way of saying, hey, I'm under persecution. I've been exiled to an island where I can't serve the churches that I was serving. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. By the way, um, it's funny how God speaks to us when we're in a posture of worship. I mean, just, just put that one in your pocket or write it down. Like, you, you say, I don't, I'm not hearing from God. How can I hear from God? Worship. Get with him. Pray. So often, I mean, sometimes, yeah, I'm just driving down the, the street and like God whispers something to me. And, and, and it, but most often it's, it's when, I'm, when I'm praying, when I'm waking up or I'm praying with others, or I'm at a worship night or a prayer night or Sunday morning when we're, we're doing this together. John, on the Lord's day, day of worship, Sunday, he's in the spirit and he hears behind him a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. Jesus the Messiah. As you read Revelation this month, just know that no other New Testament book echoes the Old Testament as much as this one. So, so when, when, when he says, I saw one like the Son of Man, he's echoing Daniel 7, which is a vision of the Ancient of Days, the Messiah who rules over all things. So much here. This son of man was clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. This is a priestly garment. Okay, Jesus is our great high priest. He is our go-between between us and God. If we didn't have him as a mediator, we would have no hope of having a relationship with God. But this is who he is. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Jesus is perfect in wisdom. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Jesus, perfect in purity, seeing everything with eyes of perfect justice and judgment. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Jesus, perfect in strength, perfect in power. In his right hand, he held seven stars. We talked about that authority. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. Perfect in truth. Truth that cuts to our hearts both to heal us and if we don't turn back to him, we will be judged by his very words. 
And then it just ends with, you know, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Jesus perfect in glory. I mean, if we just took the time to just think, and I would just encourage that this week, right? just to stop and just to read and reread and reread these words, and we think about the significance and the weight and the glorious picture of Jesus that is presented here, all right? We cannot help, if we're seeing straight, we cannot help but be captivated by this vision of Jesus, who he is, and even who he is for us. He's so glorious that John, when he saw him, verse 17, when I saw him, I felt at his feet as though dead. But he, this is Jesus, but he laid his right hand on me saying what? Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive. We sang about that, right? I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death in Hades. He has the authority once again. Right there for the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so we just ask and answer the question. What captivates you? What, what, what captivates you? What holds your attention? Where do you fix your gaze? What can't you take your eyes off of? And I was just thinking, I'm not sure this is the best way to just kind of try to get into our hearts this morning, but let's just like to get very practical. If we put a timer on our eyes, you know, like that would be cool. Probably one day, you know, they'll be able to do this stuff. But if we just timer on our eyes, like where, where do we spend the most time gazing? What is it that is holding our attention? This picture of Jesus would show us that there's nothing more glorious, there's nothing more worthy, there's nothing better that we could fix our eyes on than him. And so the call is then, if this is true, like whatever it takes to spend more time gazing at the face of Jesus in worship, prioritizing, getting together with people who, who love him, who value him, reading the word individually and with others, praying, singing songs, like whatever, whatever it takes that turns your attention back, let God keep your gaze there. We need his grace for it. Get alone with God. Spend time with him. Be captivated by a vision of Jesus. And then number two, okay, number two, to get back to this love that we had at first, choose devotion over duty, all right? Choose, choose devotion over duty. Um, what, what, what's going on here is um, Jesus, is he's, listen, you said like the vision meets their situation, right? So he is among the golden lampstands. He's walking. He is with them. Therefore, because he is with them, he knows what's going on with them, right? And so it's not surprising the first two words of the letter was, I know. You just preach a whole sermon on that, right? Like, Jesus knows everything about us. He sees every detail of your life. What happens in the light and what happens in the dark 
Jesus sees it all. And that, like, that, that should humble us. That should grab our attention. It doesn't have to like scare us, right? I mean, it should actually, like how you respond to that reality, by the way, says a lot about your view of God. Do you view God as more of a judge or a father? Is God out to get you or is God out to love you? He's both. But, but, but how are we seeing him? He knows, and, and there was a lot that he knew about them that were commendable. So each of these seven letters, they, they start with the self-description of Jesus. They give words of commendation. Hey, this is what's going on. This is going great. Then there are some words of correction, all but to two churches. And then there's a, an exhortation to listen and to conquer in light of the promises that are coming. And so Jesus talks about the great things that are going on there. Look in verses 2 and 3, nine different Uh, examples or words of encouragement to the church at Ephesus. He says, I know your good works, your good deeds. I know your toil. The toil is not just like, hey, they're like attempting to, you know, kind of like live for God here. I mean, they were serious about living for God, so serious that they were toiling, working to even the point of exhaustion. That's what that word can mean. Your patient endurance, they were persevering against trial and difficulty. And then it says this, you do not bear with those who are evil, okay, they're they're pursuing holiness, but you have tested and rejected false teachers, okay? You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And so, so what's going on is that there were those coming into the church, and this, Paul, by the way, prophesied it, if, you know, like, hey, in Acts 20, saying, after I depart, fierce wolves will come on among you, not seeking to spare the flock. In other words, there are going to be these false teachers who don't teach what is true about Jesus and will then lead. By the way, one always leads to the other. False teaching will lead to false living. But, but, but Jesus commends them. He says, you, you sniff that out. This is what... This is what Verse 6 is talking about when Jesus says, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Again, since we're having our theology corrected this morning, did you know that God hates certain things? Jesus hates evil works, and we should be thankful for that. So they, they've, they've understood, they, they, they're sticking closely to, to sound doctrine, what the truth really is, is, is saying. And then he goes on, the final three characteristics echo the first three. You're enduring patiently, alluding to persecution. They're bearing up for his name's sake. They're they're doing it for him. And they have not grown weary. They are pressing on. And so Jesus looks at his church. He says, look, there's so much to applaud you for. There's so much to pat you on the back about. But then in verse 4, he says, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. And so here's here's the point of these verses. We, you, we can do a thousand good things for God. 
We can, we can set up the lobby. We can greet people when they roll in. We can sing some revelation song. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we, can, we can run the sound and make sure Pastor Tanner's mic's coming through, all right? We can go serve the poor. We can give a meal to someone in need. We can have people on, over to our homes and practice hospitality. We can do a thousand good things, and yet how tricky and deceiving our hearts can be, we can do it absent of a true and burning devotion to God. We can do a lot of good things just for the sake of doing them, but not be motivated by a love for God and a love for the people that we're seeking to serve. I can't tell you how many times I've had to check my heart. I've had to, like, God just to whack me upside the head, like, you know, and like, Tanner, you're doing a lot of good things for me, but your heart is not burning with the kind of love that it once did. Paul talks about it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Wow. I mean, What more? Give your life. And Paul says, if it's not from love, it doesn't count for much. Wow. God wants not just our duty, he wants our devotion. It's not to say that duty is not important, but it has to flow. It's like devotion over duty. It starts here. It starts with our love for God, our vision of Jesus, who he is, why we're doing. Like It's, it's important what we do, but how and why are so much more important than what. The how and why move to the what. You say, Tanner, I've, I've been there or I am there. What do I, what do I do? Jesus tells us. He just tells us right there in the next verses. Verse 4 and 5, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I hope. I hope this morning that you will let you will take your pen, you will put your finger on your tablet, highlight these words. Know these words. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know a Christian that's, that's walked with God for, for very long, very many years, it wouldn't say that the reality of these words have been seen in their lives. There's such a temptation for us to drift from, from the love that we had at first. I mean, the, the central message here that Jesus is saying is like, get back. Get back to that place that the love that you had at first, you've moved away from it. You've abandoned it. 
He, he uses different, different terms and, and, and images to, to show abandon or the height from which you've fallen. Okay, so we were up here in our love, and yet now our love has grown as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, has grown colder. It's not as hot, it's not as zealous, it's not as passionate, it's not as focused, it's not as captivated, it's not as sold out as it once was. The love we had at first, love God first, right? I mean, it's even how some translations put it. uh, You've abandoned your first love which is not just like a timing thing, but a, but a priority thing, an importance thing. And so it's interesting to me that Jesus in verse 5 says, how we get back is by remembering. We remember what it's like. I mean, do you remember the time when you came to truly not just understand, but to believe and embrace. And perhaps for some of you, you're new to Christianity, and this is like the light bulbs are going off, and this needs to happen for you today. You just need to step into a first love. Okay, but, but for those of you who have maybe been in Christ for months, years, or decades, um, do you remember the time when you discovered that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's not just the Son of God, but he's the Son of God who came to earth, lived for us, me, a perfect life, died for me a nasty, heinous death, but then conquered death by rising from the the grave, do you remember what your love was like when all that clicked for you? Do you you remember how how eager you were? Like, do you remember how much you just loved God? You just couldn't get enough of him. You just wanted, you were were both humble and hungry. You know what I'm saying? Like, you knew you had a lot to learn because this was all new to you. But but not only did you you know you needed to, you actually wanted to, right? It's like, it's not like going to a Bible study or coming on a Sunday morning or, you know, like going to group or, or whatever it is, like just seeking God in the daily of life because this is an everyday, every moment thing, all right? It wasn't something you had to do. It is something that you wanted to do. It's devotion over duty and it's delight in all of it. Just really enjoying God, just wanting to be in his presence. I mean, we, we just finished a relationship series. You know, it's like that honeymoon phase, whether it's like when you start dating someone, you just can't get like, you know, the hours and hours that Marsha and I would spend, you know, had that class and work the next morning, and then like honeymoon and just the amazing, you know, it's like the love that we had at first. And I, and I want to encourage you here this morning. Okay, listen, this, this does not have to go away. It doesn't have to, like, we're going to be tempted and then we're going to be prone to slip, but it doesn't have to. In fact, God wants it to increase and increase and increase. I rediscovered this just 18 months ago. I mean, many of you have heard, uh, you know, my story from Rhode Island and how God uh, woke me up again and just showed me. And this is what I've been praying this morning. You can just ask the people who were in pre-service prayer and even our worship team huddle before, you know, we, we, we uh, started this morning was that, you know, here, here's, the, here's the tricky part. The bent of our heart is to hear all of this and to say, you know what? I'm in good shape. I'm here. I'm listening. 
I must like abandon me, like falling. Maybe a couple inches, you know, like. And we just need God to like, what happened for me in Rhode Island? I just went to meet with a, with a new friend and got to know him. He's like, hey, we're praying at our church tomorrow from noon to midnight. Hey, and, uh, you know, you want to come? And so I was like, sure. And, you know, an hour became two, became five. And by the end of the night, after they had prayed for me more than I had even prayed for them, which was just crazy what the Holy Spirit was doing, God woke me up. He said, do you see the distance here? Do you see the disconnect? Do you see how far, like... I didn't realize, I didn't know when, when God had to say, Tanner, you, you pray and you value prayer, but you're not a praying man. You're not characterized by prayer. It's not the f- first importance in your life like it ought to be. And so God, show us. Show us what our love for you should look like. Show us what our love for one another, like the scholars debate, is this about love for God? Is this about love for one another? Well, clearly, by the way, love is not like this sentimental. We live in a hallmark culture, right? It's like love is sentimentalism, right? It's just like feeling good and feeling emotions towards someone. Guess what? Love in the Bible is about action. Love sacrifices. Love bleeds. Love moves. Love acts. And so clearly what's going on here, it, it is about action. Do the works you did at first. So there has to be this brotherly love involved here. I think about Bella Franz, who's uh, one of our new believers. She just introduced herself last Sunday as a new member of Redemption Hill. Do you know what the first kind of love look, has looked like for her over the past year? She coaches track at Tufts University. And she's not the head coach, so she doesn't get to set the times of when they practice. So, you know, they, they practice on Sunday morning. Do you know that she would run? from Tufts to here on Sunday mornings just to catch the last 15 minutes of worship. Wow. Wow. First love. And I love what GK, I never, I never saw this before, uh, but I, I am quite convinced by by his presentation of this interpretation of first love. Okay, just bear with me, all right? G.K. Beale, an excellent New Testament scholar, says that the first love is primarily not so much about love for God or love for one another, but it's about loving people who need Christ in the first place. And we know they all go together, right? It's why Redemption Hill's gospel community mission. It's love in three directions, right? But, but why he says this is the imagery of the lampstand. When, when we see light in the Bible, it's, it's, it's so often, perhaps most often, about lighting up areas, hearts of people who do not know who Christ is. So when Isaiah 49 speaks of the Messiah, and he says, I have given you as a light to the nations that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth... There's light. There's a lampstand. And then Jesus says to us in the Sermon on the Mount, we saw in the fall, right? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your good deeds shine. Why? So that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's not just like saying, hey, these people are nice. We're going to give them props. It's like to really glorify God is to come in on who Jesus is just like these people have done. And so I'm quite convinced that that has to be loaded in here not only from a theological implication, but from a textual evidence standpoint. 
And very practically, he goes on and he says, not just lampstand in terms of shining light, but lampstand in terms of, hey, if you don't turn back, if you don't do the works that you did at first, I'll come in and I'll remove your lampstand. And not only just like judgment and discipline, but listen, just let me ask the question, what happens if we stop talking about Jesus? I've thought about that lately. What happens if we stop telling people about Jesus? Just in the next generation. We're only eight years old. And we won't, we won't make a hundred unless a lot of you live long. You know what I'm saying? Sobering words. This is how serious it is. Turn back. And so listen, I, I don't know. I don't know where you are. I don't know how your relationship with God is going. Maybe your love is so much like it was at first. Maybe it's burning bright. Maybe all you need is just to say, hey, keep it up. Keep fanning the flame of the gift of God that's in you. Keep pursuing him. Keep seeking more and more of him. If that's you, man, keep it up and rub off on others. Let the Christ in you stir up the Christ in them. But if it's not you, then just pray. Just say, God, show me where I was. Show me from where I've fallen. Show me how I've abandoned that love that I had at first so that I can honor you, so that I can love you, so that I can burn for you. Wow, don't you know that a city will be transformed when a church gets this kind of love back for Jesus? That is the definition of revival, by the way. We sometimes talk about revival. Revival is a coming back to life. Revival is more about what happens inside of a church. Hello, Ephesus. Hello, Redemption Hill. All right. It's not about awakening is what happens when people are revived and they take the message so that people will wake up to the reality of the gospel. Whew. I better wrap this sermon up. So, how do we... How do, we, how do we keep, keep going after this? Well, each time Jesus is going to hold out a promise. And so I would just say the last encouragement is to chase the promise. See what God has put out in front of us. Go after it. See, seek what he has. For, look, look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We have both a, a who and a what, okay? He's giving a promise to a particular person, to the one who conquers. So this isn't, this isn't about a physical fighting or any kind of materialistic sense, all right? It, it is about being faithful to Jesus, continuing on, persevering on. And he says, for the one who perseveres, the one who remains faithful to Christ, guess what? There's a tree of life waiting for you. This tree of life that was in the beginning, Genesis 2, all the way to Revelation 22, where the tree of life reappears, and we see that this is what God has made us for. In the very presence of God, he gives us life. He sustains us. He gives us everything we need. He is our provider. He is our satisfier. And the only reason we don't experience this, this tree now is because we rejected his gift. In our sin, we, we rebelled. We said, I don't want that tree. I want this other tree that, that makes me more like you in our pride. And from that moment, our sin has separated us from God. And yet, God, through Christ, invites us back to have a real relationship with him again. 
And so my, my encouragement to you this morning is like if you've never received the gift of life through Christ, let today be the day that you say, sign me up. I want to follow this glorious Christ who's better than anything I could ever dream of, who's died for me that I can have life through his death. If that's you, then, then, then raise your hand. Let us know that. You know what I'm saying? Just fill out your connect card right there. I commit to follow Jesus, and we'll help you get started. But then for everyone else, listen, again, however God is speaking to you, and maybe we don't need to rush off to the, the, the second, third, and fourth thing today, or, or if we have to do, uh, you know, the second and the third, maybe we could, like, come back and let this be, like, the fourth and fifth. Just like, before the day is over, let me just encourage I wouldn't plan on saying this. Just, could you just spend some time with God? I'm not saying this is your heart. I'm just saying I know my own heart. Um, it's like, you know, I did, I did church today. But a first love is saying, you know, like, yes, and like, can I get some more and some more and some more? Let me just say, at some point today, spend some more time with God. Ask him to show you where your heart is before him and say, God, bring me back. Bring me back to that place of love and devotion. Bring me back to that place where my heart is burning for you in such a way that I will necessarily rub off on the people around me. Necessarily. Inevitable influence. Because he's that good. Jesus is that real. It's not because we're special. It's because Christ in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. So I just want to pray and the band's going to come up and then Pastor Ray's going to lead us in in the Lord's Supper, but I just want to say this, like even as you come down this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper, as you remember, as we together remember the sacrifice of Christ, perhaps you just in your seat or even as you come down here, before you partake of, of the, the cup and the bread, maybe you just need to kneel, you know? I think I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kneel and then if you even want to pray, I don't know, we don't have a prayer team today, but I'll be down here. If you just want to pray with someone, just God help me get back to the first, like, then I'll be here. Let's, let's pray together. Let's seek the face of God and respond in worship. Father, thank you for the vision of Jesus that we have here. Thank you for his intimate words, not just to the people who loved you in Ephesus at that time, but how relevant your words are to this day, even today. And God, we ask that you would show us, Lord, where we are, our hearts before you, expose us, show us where you want us to come back, how we can come back, what it was like, how we can relive those moments, and then, yes, keep growing to the next level and the next level, to the one degree of glory, to the next. Father, only the work of your Spirit can accomplish this in our souls. And so we just, again, open our, our hands, and hopefully as a reflection of the posture of our hearts, and say, God, would you show us and do what only you can do to reignite this kind of passionate love for, for you and your name? God, I look forward to how I see it. I see it happening in Redemption Hill. I've seen the, the progress and the joy that so many, and even we collectively as a church, have made over this past you know, year, 18 months, two years, even from the beginning. But God, I know how much there is to come. God, and I see a, a people that are burning for your name to where we, we will, you know, 
rub off on our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends, that, that this room won't be able to contain the, the amount of people that will come to know how good Christ is. And, and we're just going to keep starting new churches and seeing you move across the city. God, we want to see you do amazing things in our day. And so we commit it to you. We pray your will be done, your kingdom come. In the name of Christ, amen.